Welcome to Conversations with Conscious Enterprises, where we're exploring the evolution of consciousness through business. I'm Roxana Rafacha, and in this conversation with Lisa Wang, I hope you find some motivation to assess your own work ethic. I hope it inspires you to maybe create your own startup. Maybe it'll trigger some introspective curiosities of your own to explore and assess your own drive for something Lisa calls enoughness. Or I hope it just helps you find a way to make a more positive impact on the world around you. Lisa Wang is the founder and CEO of SheWorks, which is a leading global platform empowering over 20,000 female entrepreneurs to close the funding gap and build and scale successful companies. She's a Forbes 30 under 30, a U.S. Hall of Fame gymnast, a keynote public speaker, and also the host of the Enoughness podcast. As someone who innately has all the markings of a hardworking, insatiable overachiever with limitless accomplishments, in my opinion, it's Lisa's introspection that really gives her her spark and that has sparked my interest in her. She's allowed herself to come to terms with a really important psychological concept that she speaks about on her Enoughness podcast. And in this conversation, we discuss all the trials and tribulations along the entrepreneurial journey to Elisa, to building Lisa's empire. We talk about how a lack of enoughness is the root of many people and many leaders suffering and how having purpose and making an impact can consume an entrepreneur. Please enjoy and share this conversation and follow us on social media. Conscious Enterprises is on Instagram, Facebook, and on LinkedIn, and you can always find us and all the useful links and resources from this conversation at www.conscious.enterprises. All right, so Lisa Wang, thank you so much for having me here at the Assemblage. I love this space, so it's always like a pleasure to like interview people here. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah. Um, so you are the founder and CEO of SheWorks. You're also a U.S. champion gymnast, which I can't wait to hear about. Um, you're the host of the Enoughness podcast, and you're also a motivational speaker and have been featured in Forbes's 30 Under 30, which is a major accomplishment. Thank you. Um, so you have a super interesting resume of all these recognitions and accomplishments. Let's start with... Um, the champion gymnast how did you get to be a gymnast and how has that led you to where you are today it's actually a really funny story of how i got started in gymnastics so when i was nine years old i was in third grade and we had a class that was or we had a whole day called fine arts day and fine arts day is this day where instead of taking history or science or math like everything was arts and on that day, there were two classes that caught my eye. One was the rhythmic gymnastics class, the other one was the Beanie Baby making class. Oh. And the problem, though, was that everyone else was talking about those classes, too, and I was like, my last name starts with a W, which is at the end of the alphabet, which means I always had to choose last. Oh, bummer. And I was like, if I choose last, there's no way I'm going to get my top two classes. And for some reason on that day, I decided it just wasn't fair anymore. It's like, it's not fair that the second half of the alphabet has to go after the first half of the alphabet every single time. <laughs> and I went to the teacher and I said, I don't think this is fair. Can we put this up for a vote? 
And she said, okay. And so then I proceeded to get everyone who was in the second half of the alphabet and just, I was, I was, that was like my first entry point <laughs> into, I guess, equality. And I was like, it's just not fair that we have to go after this, the first half of the alphabet. Um, and so we put it up for a vote and the second half of the alphabet ended up winning, which meant that I won, which meant that I got to go first in choosing my class. So Amazing. I did eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And I ended up choosing the gymnastics class, and I went there, I fell in love with it, the performances, the apparatuses, and I took a summer camp flyer home to my mom, and I said, Mom, I really want to go to this, this summer camp. And she was like, well, I have no other plans for you, except I was going to have your grandmother babysit you, so why not? Awesome. And that was how I got started, and for the next 10 years I was a gymnast. Wow. Um, so that was, you know, the beginning of the And how old were you? Did you say how nine. old you were? Nine. Okay. I was nine at that time. And from there, I pretty quickly had a sort of propensity for, um, I guess, the sport and the apparatus and how my body moved with it, and um, I think the coaches quickly recognized my work ethic, and pretty quickly I ended up winning my first you know, small uh, like state championship and then for my level and then I quickly moved up from there to the point that by the time I was in high school I was training five days a week four to five hours all of those days I had, would block my school schedule out so that it was five classes in a row, then I'd have lunch, then study hall, study hall, and I would just leave before lunch, eat lunch in the car. My mom would drive me, and um, I'd train for the next five hours, and I'd be you know, furiously doing homework in the car on the way back, and wow. then um, go to bed and get right back up at 6 a.m. for school the next day. Yeah. Um, and I think that, it, when I think back to it now, it's kind of crazy how much I did um, in terms of the amount of schoolwork and the amount of gymnastics. And I think a lot of people have asked me, were perplexed back then, but even asked me now, like, how did you do it all? Because I was also in a public school in Chicago with 4,000 kids. Wow. So it was not like a, you know, coddling, you know, hand-holding school. Um, and I was gone for sometimes two weeks, three weeks at a time for gymnastics competitions and traveling. And I'd get all my work beforehand. Um, and by the time I got back, I would just hand the teacher like a pile of homework that I had completed. And I'd get back and I'd be like, why is it that kids here have not finished their homework? Like, I was just gone for three weeks. Like, how is everyone else behind? Yeah. And I think it was, it comes back to this idea of focus. Where I had, I was very singularly focused on gymnastics. Um, and also I had ingrained in me, you know, the value of education and so it was just a given for me that I had to focus on school and make sure that I was getting those things done. Um, and given that that was the only two things that I put attention towards, I think it was very easy to get that done because I wasn't distracted by social life or parties, boys, anything like that. And um, which certainly was felt sometimes lonely, but um, I think it's what got me to where I was, was that level of um, focus. That's interesting. In retrospect, um, does the, that component of feeling lonely, do you ever regret any of that? I don't, because even back then I would think about it's okay because I've heard about these golden four years in college and everything that I'm missing <laughs> in high school I'm going to get back in college times ten. Um, so you let loose in college. I let loose in like, college, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that 
um, I banked on that. Yeah. You know, I banked on it, and I, I don't regret it at all because I had an amazing time in college. Um, Where did I, you go to school? Yale University. Oh, nice. And even now, like, I, I feel like I'm happier than I've ever been in terms of my, like, social life because it's, I have intentionally chosen, you know, the circles I surround myself with and um, very much adhere to the idea that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so um, I make sure that the relationships that I'm in are, you know, high value for both people, both in terms of the personal growth that you get from it, as well as the um, emotional and intellectual growth. That's great. Um, So how did SheWorks come into fruition. Um, tell me a little bit about, I know it's fairly new, so tell me about, I guess, your progression with your career, I guess, maybe after college, and yeah. how, what, led you, what led you there. Yeah, well, um, she works is about two and a half years old at this point, and um, I started it because of my own challenges fundraising as a female founder, um, building my first tech startup. Um, certainly, though, backtracking, I had no idea that I was going to be an entrepreneur. I didn't even know what the entrepreneur word meant when I was in college. Um, what was your first job out of college? My, so right after I graduated, I had a fellowship um, for a year in China to do economic research and intensive Mandarin studies. Wow. Um, I was adamant that I didn't want to get into consulting or finance because I thought that was selling out and I saw all of my classmates, <laughs> like two-thirds of the class, end up in those yeah, fields. From Yale, yeah. Um, and I still never really understood what the word consulting meant. I was like, what do management consultants do? <laughs> and so I, I did that research and I did that fellowship and was traveling through China for a bit and I ended up getting recruited into this hedge fund mm-hmm. despite everything trying not to get into finance. Um, but I, I did. I worked there as an intern for a couple of months, and then that transitioned into a full time. Um, and it was it was a great fund. Like people were great, but you know it was still Wall Street, and it was primarily male. Um, and I think that the turning point for me was actually really funny because I had. I was surrounded, my desk was like three big monitors, and then, you know, you'd have Bloomberg on one side, you'd do like your research on this one, and then I would have on my bottom right screen this, like, that's where I would read not relevant news and just like do my Yelp reviews and all that stuff. And I remember reading this article on TechCrunch about the app Yo. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of that I have heard app, of it. What is it? But the app Yo raised a million dollars and got a feature on TechCrunch. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what does this app do? So apparently what it did back then was you press a button and it texts your friend, yo. <laughs> and then your friend hits a button and texts you back, yo. There's only one functionality in I this totally entire app. This. Yeah. And I was like, and they're like, there are so many ways to use this. You could, when you're watching a game with your friend virtually and someone scores a goal, you could say yo. And then you could cheer them back with a yo. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I am sitting here slaving away, not getting paid a million dollars, and these guys built an app that does one thing and raised a million dollars. Like, what am I doing with my life? Right. Um, like, And I think there was just always this feeling of, I can do so much more. Yeah, I can make such a big, bigger impact than I'm doing now, and um, and I think there was a, just a part of me that was like, 
I don't strive to be my boss or my boss's boss. Like, it's not even like a roadmap that I necessarily want for myself. So where is this gonna go for me? Um, and I didn't feel like, I mean, the, the fundamentals of hedge funds and those types of institutions are, let's make rich people richer. And that just didn't really resonate with my life purpose. Um, not that I really knew what that purpose was right. for a long time, but I just knew it wasn't that. So I ended up leaving after two years, and then I was like, what do I do now? Um, I was driven by the fact that I knew I wanted creative ownership. Um, I needed the room to be able to do, like, to, to create the change that I wanted to create. Um, so I ended up going to a boot camp called Startup Institute. Okay. Um, where it was just basically a group of career transitioners, people who wanted to get into the startup world, didn't really know how to do it, didn't have the network, um, and didn't have skills. <laughs> to, like, very valuable skills for startups, and so I was like, well, let me just do this. Uh, let me do, like, a... but Because one thing I knew is that I had to... I had to, in essence, like, burn bridges of my past, not in the negative way, but in the sense of, like, create a point of no return. Because, kind of loose. Yeah. because if I didn't, I would always kind of, like, gravitate toward back. And I think that actually is the biggest challenge for a lot of people who are searching for, like, how do I overcome my fear to do what I'm really passionate about? It's how do you create that point of no return? Because most people are afraid of it, therefore they always have, like, a... I have a very easy plan B, ready to go, in case it doesn't work. So that means they're not going to fully quit their job. They're going to try a little side project, and um, and I was and I think that you can get stuck in that, right? If you don't have a timeline of like, okay, if I don't do this by X, then I will do that. They're just like, we'll just see if it works, <laughs> right? Um, and you don't have enough incentive. So for me, it was like creating that point of no return. I was like, there's, I, if I don't figure out how to get a job from this, like. I don't have a safety net. Yeah. Um, so from there, I did get a job in a top mobile design development agency as an operations um, analyst, and I was working right next to the CEO. So what I realized when I was there was I was able to get an overarching glance at um, founders who were pitching this agency with their startups to get their apps and their websites built. Okay. Um, and I got to see from the CEO as I was in those meetings, what were good apps, what were bad apps, like right. what were attractive, what wasn't. Um, and at some point I just got the itch. I'm like, I want to start my own thing. I don't know what I'm going to start. But I went to a startup weekend hackathon and um, pitched my first idea, which was a late night munchies delivery company that Genius. knew your preferences, that was like one touch, that like, you know, didn't have decision fatigue like you do on Seamless mm -hmm. and um, would learn your preferences over time. So at 2 a.m. when it's like, you know you crave a quinoa salad, or you're like, you want your quinoa salad, even though you know you crave mozzarella sticks, you're like, just right there. It's an like easy <laughs> choice. Yeah. Um, so I ended up winning that hackathon, and like we built an initial prototype in that weekend um, with a, a team that I met there, and um, and then I was like, okay, what's next? Right. Well, it's next, so I actually have to like build out something, like a front end of some sort that's usable, and 
I worked at a dev agency, so then I yeah. worked with a few of the developers as like a side, like fun thing, and we built this out. Um, next thing was, okay, now I need money. Um, <laughs> where do I get money? So right. then I had to narrow it down to like where I could, and what I found, I didn't even know what an accelerator was at that point. Right. Um, and I found this food accelerator, and I remember looking at the application and Googling what makes for a good accelerator application. And one of them said, a lot of people said, like, investors are very skeptical of solo founders. So mm -hmm. I was like, well, now I need a co-founder. And I was working with this girl who um, was a freelance designer. So I was like, you know, like, why don't I list you as my co And I started yeah. calling her my co-founder. Um, yeah. and, and, like, back, like all of these are mistakes, right? Yeah. So, um, but what it did get me was both between my vision of what this could be, my enthusiasm for the project, and um, the initial kind of branding of it was very mm -hmm. good and thought through. Um, I ended up getting in as one of the earliest stage companies, and they gave me, you know, a, a decent amount of investment for oh, wow. a small part of my company, um, and I was off to the races. That's amazing. So then I had to figure out how to build a company, <laughs> and I, no I made deal. every single mistake when it came to, I mean, one, picking out a co-founder when just just flippantly, like, without right. like, really thinking about partnership, hiring people off of Craigslist. Why do you like, think it is, sorry to backtrack yeah. here, why do you think it is that they um, are hesitant <clears throat> of single founder companies? Well, I think, <clears throat> one, to be a founder, um, you have to have a certain, almost, like, I've heard the word delusion thrown out there. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's necessarily delusion, um, but it's almost like a, like a delusional optimism or an ability, which, which I see as actually meaning the ability to take every negative, whether it's a challenge, obstacle that comes your way and just be like, doesn't matter because I see my vision. Right. And because what a founder is essentially doing is saying, I'm going to create something in the world that doesn't exist and right. people are going to use it. And that does take a sense of like, like it's almost like a, a tunnel vision right. to create that. Um, which is good in some respects, but it's also makes, I think it also attracts sometimes a uh, very like egotistical Okay. person which possibly um, and there are some founders that I, that I see who are like my way or the highway mm. um, and I think that there's just naturally like there's a balance right and not no single person can have every single skill required right. and oftentimes there are certain like necessary skills that it's like if someone has this they almost like definitely don't have that yeah. like even a Steve Jobs who's like visionary and like you know touted as like the person who created all this he couldn't code yeah and that's crazy because it's like but to say that that the operator and the coder is the person who is the main person is also not true because they were following the instructions of this guy's vision right and it sense. never would have been created without <clears throat> the vision right so it's like you need both right and i think that seasoned investors have seen these patterns over and over, right. which is that you can't have a single person team, right. really. Um, and so I think the best founder is the person who understands that they need a team around them to mm -hmm. 
um, complement the areas where they are weaker and, and knows that like the best thing to do is to hire the team that is like hire the best person at that job yeah. and give them the autonomy to create. Totally. Yeah. And sorry, back to you, what you were originally saying, something about yeah. Craigslist? Also. Yeah, I hired my first CTO off of Craigslist. Oh my um, god. Because <laughs> I, you know, like I didn't have that much money. It was like, um, and I was like, because I need to build a product. So I right. ended up getting someone who was like very junior, very hungry. Oh my god. Um, you find out pretty quickly that it's like, I mean, there's a trade-off. You pay less for the junior hungry person. There's a lot more mistakes that happen, a lot right. more time cost. Um, the problem, especially for non-technical founders that you realize if you're building a tech product, is that, and you, and you can't talk to them. Like, technical people, especially like coders, it's like, they operate different ways. Like, the, I, I was just talking to a friend recently and he hired a, um, a CTO or not, a, like a, a developer on his team, and he was like, "Yeah, he basically he just said that um, every day he takes a siesta from uh, <laughs> one to three. And then he was like, and I, I just, and then he told me that after he signed the like signed the contract, and he's like, can I say something about that? Like, <laughs> but I need the guy to build the technology. But he says that that's just the best, he codes better like that. And so, you know, it's like when you're at the whim right. of the person building your product, it's like you can't really say anything. And so if this guy's saying, okay, it's going to take five weeks to build this one part. And right. actually, I I work much better late at night from 6 p.m. till 4 a.m. I would just like, you do you then. Like, just make sure that the product's <laughs> as long built. As it gets done, yeah. And, and the problem is, like, I couldn't see... I couldn't tell if he was telling the truth or not. Oh. And that's the biggest thing. It's like, does it really take three months to build right. out this feature? Or does it actually take three weeks and you just don't know what you're doing? Right, right. Um, and that's that's where you have, like, bigger problems in, like, teams that don't know how to communicate to their technical team. Right. So I always think that it goes back to a very fundamental um, lesson about building companies, which is... <sighs> If you are the founder and you don't know how to build your pro your core product, maybe you should think about building something else. Right. And I, I say that with like a metaphor of even restaurants, right? Like who is at the core of that restaurant? Like who creates the restaurant? It's the chef. Like the restaurant is, the core of the restaurant is the food that's being served to the people. And if you don't know anything about food, like, you are reliant completely totally. on the people who are cooking it, and you, you don't know what to talk, you don't know how to, like, give input. And so it's like, and that's the same with the founder who's trying to build a tech product and doesn't know any tech. It's like, and they will go to an investor and say, like, oh, yeah, we'll get a CTO later. It's like, but what happens if that CTO drops out? What happens? Like, if you are, if you don't have control, you can't build it. And so I always think about like, what is the, the key ingredient of your company and can you do it by yourself, even like to a certain point. Right. Um, and That's I think about point. now as I'm like building out, um, the next iteration. That's yeah. a great point. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so 
what higher purpose do you see yourself serving um, to the world through SheWorks? Um, I think, well, first and foremost, that the word purpose is very daunting for a lot of people. Yeah. And um, so I'll say what my purpose is now, and, and then I'd like to talk a little bit more about purpose in general. Yeah. So I think that my higher purpose for being on this world is to fundamentally transform the narrative of how women talk to themselves and therefore show up in the world. Um, because this goes a little bit to the enoughness um, part, which we haven't talked about, but um, you know, I felt my whole life that I wasn't good enough or successful enough or anything. Um, I just wasn't enough. Um, and it, that comes from also being a perfectionist. And I think that what's happened is that society has told women um, there's, there's a very different way in which men and women manifest whether or not they feel enough. Um, society has told women, you are not pretty enough, you are not skinny enough, and you will never be enough as you are as a being. So therefore, when you see a woman who's lacking that enoughness, when she, you see it in the way that she walks, in the way that she talks, the way she carries herself um, in her entire being. Um, in contrast, when you see a man Society has told men, you don't have enough. You don't have enough women, you don't have enough cars, you don't have enough money. And as a result, the man who doesn't feel like he's enough goes the opposite end of the spectrum and he's like, more money, more cars, more women. And the unfortunate thing is that the business world rewards that sort of behavior. So even though it seems like he's doing great, what you have is that phenomenon of the guy who's like super rich, has all the women, has all the houses, and he's depressed. That's so interesting. And it's and that sort of behavior is just yet another manifestation of the same sim, the same underlying problem, which is not feeling like you're good enough. Right. And and for me though, I think that when I think of how women have been, you know, these messages that we've gotten throughout our entire lives of not being good enough, it's like that shows up in the way we conduct ourselves in business. You know, never being able to assert or really own our individual power and saying like. Like, here's how I want it done. Here's how I believe that I know best. And, like, you know, can walk into a room unashamedly, like, doing what she knows she can do. Um, and that comes from, I think, a lot of times the power of media. Media does so much in shaping our way of thinking. Like, my favorite movie growing up was The Little Mermaid. Same. And, and now I think about it from this context, I'm like... And Little Mermaid was the most helpless person totally. ever. She, she like didn't have legs. <laughs> like she suddenly gets granted, like she stumbles naked onto a beach, and then Prince Charming comes and falls in love with her, and and you know for her body, like or or she wore a seashell bra, right? <laughs> you know, and she literally had no voice, and the only way she would get her voice or even be saved, is if this guy kissed her. So amazing to think about it that way. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what did that do to my psyche? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what are these commercials and these shows, like The Bachelor, like, doing to us, which literally is damsel in distress narrative. In order for me to have a happy life, I need to be saved by this guy. If I'm, And then the Mean Girls narrative, and if I'm going to get that happy life from that guy, I have to cut out all these other women to get right. there. And... So I think all of these things then go back to this higher purpose of like, because I have gone through this journey of 
and it was a very very difficult journey to get through like get through those insecurities get through those fears get through like feeling like I wasn't enough going into these like meetings often with a lot of primarily men and primarily people who are older more experienced and I would always walk around being like why is it that I never feel like I'm enough why is it that no matter how many things I check off how many things I achieve I never feel like I'm good enough and when will it ever be enough mm. um, and that breakthrough of what I call the enoughness moment that's the moment at which your purpose becomes bigger than your shame or insecurity and you just do it yeah um, and I think for me it's it's how do I find the platform and create that platform and that voice and that movement such that the next girl and the next woman don't have to go through that painful experience of like feeling like she's never enough and then who knows whether or not she even gets there. So it's like I just want to fundamentally change the cultural narrative of the way we talk to ourselves and, and then resultingly how other people talk to you, right? right? Because you create that sort of energy that you Absolutely. give out. Absolutely. Um, That's a great purpose. Yeah. And for those who, for those who might be watching or listening to this yeah. who have never heard of SheWorks, what, describe what SheWorks actually is. Yeah. yeah. Well, SheWorks is a global platform and it's a offline and online community that empowers female entrepreneurs to get access to capital and mentorship. So we're democratizing this sort of access so more women um, can grow and scale successful companies. Um, so it's a, both something that provides actionable skills, valuable connections, and an uh, ability to build meaningful relationships with investors. Great, love it. Um, so we talked about your inspiration um, for starting it. What inspires you every day to keep going? You juggle so much. Yeah. What is inspiring you every day to keep SheWorks going, to yeah. do the podcast, to you know, to yeah. get all this stuff, yeah. get out of bed every day and keep going? Yeah. That's a good <clears> question. <throat> and um, before I get to that, I, I want to, because I just remembered, get to this idea of purpose. Yes. Um, which is that, which does relate to why you get up in the morning. Right. And I think a lot of people struggle with the question like what is my purpose mm -hmm. like why should I get up in the morning and um, an important question that I always ask is to what end to what end are you doing you know this thing to what end are you, are you meeting with that person because I think a lot of times what we do is we react to the world without thinking like to what end am I doing this and um, I think there's a lot of pressure put on finding your purpose, which also makes it a very like depressing feeling when you think that everybody else has it and you don't. And I and I think that the the miss um, what people misconstrue is that like purpose is just there for you to find it. And like it's like give me purpose, someone. You know, <laughs> it's like that's not how it works because I think the way that purpose is actually constructed is that no one has a singular purpose. Um, and the people who have found their purpose are not lucky. They just spent a lot of time doing introspection, failing at things, and finally getting to a point where like, okay, now I'm just going to commit to this because, you know, I'm, I'm just on this track. I totally agree, yeah. And I think for me, it was like my purpose for building SheWorks, for doing the work that I do, um, all of it came from my own personal experiences. 
like SheWorks was built because of my experience fundraising and walking into an investor meeting and the investor walked straight over to my 35-year-old white male COO, shook his hand and brushed me off as the assistant. Oh my and God. that happening, you know, more than a number of times at networking events. Right. And I realized it wasn't about some of these big egregious stories we hear in the news, it's the small paper cuts that happen every mm -hmm. single day that wear us down. And we don't even realize it sometimes. So that's why she worked started because I was like, I need to find other women who empathize with me. Um, not only empathize, but are also on the same high growth trajectory. You know, like we want, we don't want to waste time. We want to build big companies. We want to make big change. And what we need is access to capital. Um, I couldn't find that space. So I was like, let me create this. And what I found was a very engaged community who also really needed this and larger than I thought. And because I had put the time and energy into it, it suddenly became a part of me. Um, and so the connections that were being made, the like joy that I saw people have, like experiencing, I was like, oh, I was a part of that. And right. it makes you feel really good. Right. Um, same thing with the Enoughness podcast. It was like my own journey, t like grappling with that insecurity. Um, it was me trying to figure out how I could get over it and talking to people who in my mind had made it and realizing that every single person feels like they're not enough, whether, like, dis despite age, race, gender, industry, like, there's always that feeling. Right. Um, and it's even more prevalent in people who are, like, m successful externally. And, um... Sometimes I feel like it's the driving force. Yeah. To be honest. I don't yeah. think, I think the most successful or seemingly successful from the outside um, perceived people are usually the ones that have that lack of enoughness yeah. um, most severely because they're constantly driving yeah. towards it. Yeah. yeah. So it was a point of having these conversations that I was like, people would open up and I was like, I wish other people could hear these conversations because like, yeah. I love them and also I wish I could go back to them. So I just wish they were recorded. <laughs> and then it was just a matter of, okay, now I need to like do something about it and figure out, then it was like the logistics of like what mic and how do I actually publish on iTunes. And, <laughs> totally, I'm going through that yeah, right now. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that will stop people, right? right? The logistics, um, especially if you're like more of a visionary type. Mm -hmm. And um, so yeah, I keep that going because I get feedback from people who are like, thank you so much, like, oh my god, I, I learned this insight about myself thanks right. to your podcast. And, so I'm getting that external validation too, right, yeah. of seeing that it's helping people. And because it comes from a very personal place, it's almost like seeing someone resonate with me. Yeah. Um, and that has resulted in my purpose and what gets me up every morning is because I'm, I'm constantly doing things that are receiving that feedback that's telling me, okay, this is creating an impact in the world. Right. Um, so, you know, it's like... The Enoughness podcast didn't exist six months ago, right. but now it's like, it's a thing and people yeah. like talk to me about it. And, yeah. um, so I think it's just the, this whole purpose thing is, you know, it was an evolution of me taking the painful experiences that I had and turning it into something positive that I could share with the world because I felt that what I was experiencing wasn't a singular experience. And right. that's really what gets me up in the morning. I love that. That's great. Um, 
seeing as we're at the assemblage, um, it's pretty fitting that you know you're obviously really into wellness. Yeah. They're really into fostering businesses that um, have wellness at the forefront of you know things that they value. Um, how do you see wellness and self development unfolding in the startup world or even the financial industry? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that has always been I think critiqued about the startup world um, is this mentality of like move fast and break things and like hustle harder and crush it and like, kill it, and, <laughs> um, which is a very male uh, narrative. Right. And it, I mean, makes sense because the tech world has been dominated by men, both in the venture capital side and the founder side. Um, I think what that results in is on a positive side, like not overthinking things and actually getting to places faster, learning how to iterate if you have the right processes in place. Um, where it suffers is that um, pace of execution overpowers thoughtfulness and taking care of yourself. So. It's always finding that balance because I think as entrepreneurs, you really just want to, like, you're, you're just impatient to get your idea out there. Right. And there's this feeling of, I think time becomes so much more precious because you're like, ugh, like, why is, like, why is these logistics holding me down to the oh, thing that I need to, like, put out there, this message that I want to share. Right. Um... <clears throat> And that results, and plus it's your own project, so no one's telling you, like, what the timeline is. So you're like, every day that creeps by that I'm not doing this is, like, A lost another, time. Yeah. yeah I um, totally feel that. So, and I think that also um, stems from this idealization of the end state of the destination. Mm-hmm. Rather than valuing the journey. Totally agree. So instead of just embracing every moment and yeah, you know, getting into the flow of where you're headed. Yeah. And I am very much a person that is always, I mean, as a gymnast, like yeah, state championships, regional championships, national championships, world championships, Olympic games. It's like everything is structured so right. they can get there. Right. And that's really helpful in focus. As an entrepreneur, you don't have those levels. Right. Because every company's different, every timeline's different, and there's no one giving you those guardrails. There's no one giving you those, like, levels to achieve. Right. Um, and it, I think that's the challenge for every entrepreneur, is to figure out how you can look at where your destination is, your perceived, like, check mark at the end, and and map out on your journey like various levels of celebration that you can have. Yeah. Because that's when you can try and achieve wellness and balance because I think a lot of it comes from wellness, honestly, I think it comes from the ability to it's like take a breath and celebrate what you've done. Right. And like celebrate life, celebrate breath, right. celebrate, you know, your body. Right. Um and if you don't have those levels of celebration, then you can never you never feel like you deserve it. Yeah. From your perspective, from what you see, because you work with so many, you know, women biz- in different t- industries and businesses, um, 
Do you think that wellness, because I know this is a huge wave, right, that we're all kind of riding on, do you see it infiltrating the financial industry as well? Um, not so much. Oh, like, interesting. you would definitely not see a space like this in, right. in any sort of corporate sense. I think they're, what they are doing is that they're providing at least, like, some places in the insurance. You can, it covers your psychologist, you know, or your, right. um, some cover, like, acupuncturists. Oh, okay. And, um, I think, I've even heard of one that covers, like, maybe your yoga class here okay. or there, like, once a month, and... Um, the needle. Yeah. Um, it's it's certainly, I'm always skeptical of waves in yeah. general. Like, I just, when people, like, when it's, like, in vogue. Right. Like, wellness is in vogue. Right. And, like, um, meditation is in vogue. When it's, yeah. like, people have been doing that for hundreds uh, yeah. and hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just more of a, it's, it's a lifestyle. Like, how do you... I just go back to balance. Mm-hmm. How do you figure out what it is that you want to achieve that's mm-hmm. aligned with your purpose? Like, how do you do what you need to do, right? But not kill yourself while doing it. <laughs> like, right. I think that that's it. Like, I don't think of myself as a wellness person or not a wellness person. Yeah. Some people might look at me and be like, "Well, I was like, I work out five times a week." Yeah. But not because I'm like, I need a. I, I like self care or whatever. Yeah, I yeah. Sit, I'm just like, I need to go to the gym because that's how I'm going to be productive and like it makes me feel good. Okay. Um, what else do you do to make yourself feel good for the day? Um, I think like a big part of what I love is just talking to people. Yeah. And so that luckily naturally integrates with my work and not just talking, um, but. I, I really enjoy like insightful one-on-one conversations where we're going like really deep and yeah. learning about people's stories. Right. Um, and luckily that I, I'm in spaces where I can do that and I'm, right. I'm having those sorts of collisions with people that are interesting, that are doing really cool work. Yeah. Um, and so for me that's like naturally just like where I am and it's integrated into my day. And I've, I've also, you know... I've had this feeling of people are like, well, what are your hobbies? And I'm like, well, because <laughs> I think that's also something entrepreneurs struggle with. I'm like, I, you know, I, I work, <laughs> I produce my podcast, <laughs> I work out, I hang out with friends, like on weekends I like to go out <laughs> dancing. But those aren't, like, are they hobbies? Are they not? And They're I, kind of hobbies. I kind of feel like a lot of entrepreneurs, that's a good point, that a lot of entrepreneurs don't have a good answer to the hobby question because I feel like when you are building something with so much purpose and so much yeah. personal energy and passion towards yeah. something, you almost don't need that hobby to fulfill yeah. you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I, I was like, <clears throat> I don't feel like anything's missing in my life. Right. That I need to escape my work with a hobby. Right. And that's not to say that, like, anything against people with hobbies. But, right, but, of course. But, like, people do their hobbies because they're passionate about it. Right. And that gives them a sense of whatever it is you're trying to get in, like, whether it's relaxation or, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, I I feel relaxed at certain points in my day when I'm just, like, hanging out having a drink with a friend with a great conversation and I feel like very on when I'm doing my work and I'm feeling progression and I feel like in aligned with my purpose and that's yeah. your hobby I guess yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool um 
check the time. Okay, I'm gonna have one more question for you. How do you value success? Do you consider yourself um, a successful person today? I know you're always striving, so that's a tough one for you. Well, especially around one of the things that I realized as I was uh, solidifying the concept of enoughness was that success and enoughness don't come hand in hand. And most of the time it's actually opposite because for high achievers it's every success is yet another proving ground to do more and more and more. Right. So I have recently started to at least allow the external recognition in as like, okay, I've done a lot. Right. You know, it's like and I and I know that a lot of people consider me successful and People have said, like, you know, you've achieved a certain level of success before the age of 19 that most people ever will in their life. Absolutely true. And, um... Just you getting your homework done, I feel like that quickly (laughs) is, like, a success. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I would say that I... It's taken me a while to get there to give myself the recognition, but I do, I do believe that I have been successful in various aspects of my life, um... The fact that that never resonated with the feeling of enoughness to me means that success is not the goal. Um, it's it's this idea of like you don't climb the mountain to be seen, right? You climb the mountain so that you can see others, yeah, and share what you learn from that journey. And um, I think my my goal is is really impact and change because it's it's almost like success or achieving certain levels of success in in like and and there's no end state right it's like that is just a journey that allows me to continually learn and share with other people yeah great great answers i'm gonna be mindful of your time so let's stop there thank you so much this is really great you're so inspiring (laughs) thank you